God. And I'm going to share it with you. And if you were here last week, Pastor Jack shared about the Holy Spirit and how God can speak through the Holy Spirit and, and how God can talk to us. And so before COVID, before they ever heard the word social distancing, before I'd even experienced anything like a lockdown, things were going really, really well. And somebody, a Pays alumni, an alumni from our organization, sent me this little message. And it made no sense at the time. Everything was going fantastic. And they sent me something. And it was, I think it was through social media. I'm trying to remember how they sent it to me. And it had a title. It said, I feel God saying this to you, Paul, about the organization. And this, I'm going to read it to you in a minute. It had a title. And the title was The Purge. Let me read this to you for a moment. Right before a tidal wave, the waters pull back. We will see signs of God's presence pull back. There is a flood coming. There will be casualties. There will be people whose job it is to protect. There will be people who can't handle the aftermath and confusion and choose to leave. With the wave of water, there were heavenly beings who were sent to help the casualties. As heavenly beings ourselves, we were unable to breathe. Sorry, we were able to breathe in the water. But anything not of God will be taken. The casualties will be the people who have been leading double lives. Anything not of God will be taken. There will be few left to rebuild, but afterwards, everything was white and pure. There are some casualties who stayed to teach others. The ones who were protectors will lead when the waters pass. In the confusion, there will be love and care. Now, I, when I got that, I thought, that's just weird. And I just put it to one side. And then COVID hit, and I thought, hang on a minute, what was that message that I received? And it gave me hope, but it also helped me understand something as well. So when everything locked down, all that, we have all these people, and they're normally 18 to 25 years old, and they come for a year to serve in schools. So when COVID locked down, they had to all go home. And what we did, we said, okay, we're going to create an online ministry program. So all those young people you've been reaching for six months, you'll still be able to mentor them and coach them and, and share the Bible with them online which is great because they're going to be going through a really tough time. A lot of kids were very, very scared during COVID. And what happened was really interesting. Most of the young people went back and they connected with the kids online, but quite a lot of them didn't. And the reason they didn't was because there's two types of people who come on our organization, I think. One is those who want to serve God and they get the bonus of traveling overseas to a new country. But there are another type who want to go overseas to another country, and the bonus is they can do it serving God. And because they do it serving God, people will give them money to do it. So it acted as a kind of filter process. And in my opinion, it really, it really got me thinking about this idea of why do we serve when we serve? What is the reason that we actually serve? And could the two forms of serving be some kind of answer to why we're not seeing revival? Now, let's talk about this whole thing about revival um, and what God's doing in the world. Right now, um, there's been some projections of where Christianity will be in the future. So uh, right now, 77.4% of North Americans would in some way say they're Christian, even if it's just, you know, I was born in a Christian family. The projections were before COVID, which made things worse, that by 2050, that would be down to 65.8% or minus 17%. And that's the same throughout the world. The Middle East, 
minus 19%, Europe, minus 14%, Africa, minus 7%, Latin America, where we think there's a kind of revival going on, it's still minus, just minus 0.01%. So we're not seeing what I thought Jesus was saying. Now, I believe God is good. I believe God is on the move. So what on earth is going on? What's happening? Well, maybe it's the devil. Maybe it's just the devil. 2 Corinthians says this, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But the problem is, the Bible also says this, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So the kingdom of God can advance, should advance, even if the devil is pushing back because the devil can't stop what God wants to do. It seems to me there's a problem. I want to explain the problem. And many years ago, when I first started to go into schools on my own, before we started the organization, um, I didn't know what I was doing. I just got an opportunity to go into schools. And one day, this guy said to me, hey, Paul, I've got six lessons for six weeks to talk about Easter in a school, a public school. So I'm going to go into the school, and for six weeks, I'm going to be talking about why Christians believe Easter. Well, that's the gospel story, right? Can you come with me? And he said, don't worry. I know you don't know what you're doing, but don't worry. Come with me. You can just hold my bag, and I might get you to share your testimony. So I went with him the first week. It went so well. He did, he did such a great job. The teacher came up to him and said, hey, hey um, his name was Paul. And he said, um, hey, Paul, um, we want the whole of the school to hear this. It was great. So can you, can you, well, we can't get them all in the same room. We need to do it simultaneously in two separate rooms. So he said, that's no problem. Paul can do the other room. And I'm like, what? Can't you, Paul? And blindsided, I went, yes. He said, don't worry, Paul. I'll give you all the notes and everything. Well, the next week came. He gave me about 15 minutes worth of an hour's lesson. I had to make up the rest. And then after that lesson, he called me and said, hey, Paul, I'm double booked for the rest of the series. Tag your it. So I had to come up with four hours of material. Nobody told me what to do about why Christians celebrate Easter and speak to hundreds and hundreds of young people. I was scared stiff. But what went through my mind was this. If I don't tell them about Jesus, who will? The problem is, if I was brought up in today's Christian mindset, I think I would have asked a different question. Do you know what I think my question would have been today? Is this my ministry? Who cares? Is this my ministry? I like making up parables. What is the kingdom of God like? It's like the man who had a boat. And in his boat, he's sailing across the sea. And suddenly he sees the Titanic sinking. And people drowning. So straight away, he puts his motorboat in, in, in the highest gear. And he shoots towards them. And just as he gets close to him, he thinks, hang on a minute. Wait a minute, I need to think about this. What kind of boat is this? Is this, is this a, a rescue boat? Or is this a fishing boat? Or is it a pleasure boat? Or is it a cruise boat? And while he's trying to figure out what kind of boat he has, the people are drowning. I think that's what the church is like. I don't mean particularly our church. I mean the church. We're so busy trying to work out what God's doing in my life. And how should I serve? And what's my ministry gift? 
there are people outside these four walls who don't know anything about Jesus. They don't care about your ministry gift. Your ministry gift is just nuance. Your calling is to make disciples and to advance the kingdom of God. Your ministry gift may well be the most effective way you can do that. But it's not your calling. I loved what um, David, David said before. Was it laying in the group before? I can't remember. One of you said something really good. It might have been Lane, actually. And we were looking, and we were, we were talking about this. Oh, and it was Lane. Sorry, David. What you said was great as well. <laughs> um, but Lane talks about the fact that um, there was Paul and Apollo. You know, one, one, uh, one plants a seed, another one does this. Another. But he said, but we all do it for the same purpose. Well, what is the purpose? Is it, well, I'll do this. I'll do this, David. If you, I'll serve your purpose if you serve my purpose. No. David, David serves the way he serves. Becca serves the way she serves. I serve the way I serve for one purpose, his purpose. And his purpose is the kingdom of God. So my question is, what are you doing for his purpose? How are you serving God for his purpose? Now, forgive me, I like to harp on about the same things because I've learned over time repetition is important. So one of the things I like to talk about is this idea of my journey has been moving from being Christian-centric to being kingdom-centric. In other words, from putting myself first as a Christian to putting God first as a Christian. And Christian-centric being to pursue our vision God's way so God gives me what I want. Well, I'm going to serve God because if I serve God, God will give me what I want. Whereas kingdom-centric is to serve his kingdom, do it God's way, so we give him what he wants. What does that look like when it comes to service? Well, for me, it, it looks a bit like this. If I'm Christian-centric, I'm going to prioritize my ministry. If I'm kingdom-centric, I'm going to prioritize his mission. I was thinking, how do I explain this? Let's imagine God speaks to me one day and says, Paul, you love to preach, because I enjoy preaching, right? You love to preach. And if you spend the next three years preaching, Paul, 10,000 people will come to know me. But Paul, if you do administration for the next three years, 10,001 people will come to know me. What would I do? That's a challenge for me. And I know this because I see it in ministry, I see it in my life constantly. What's more important to you? What you do or what it accomplishes? Um, for me, spiritual transformation, or part of it, is kind of moving uh, from this, what I do, to what it achieves. And I have this little diagram I came up with, so you can actually see the bottom bit. But as I'm going this way, as I'm going towards God, my ministry becomes less important to me, and his mission becomes more important to me. Does that make sense? Because it's about his mission. It's about who he is. So let's look at those two things, ministry and mission. Let me ask you, a question about ministry. I said I might ask some awkward questions, so forgive me. When is serving God not serving God? Can I suggest when it doesn't work? When it doesn't work. I've been involved in full-time, as they call it, Christian ministry for 30 years. I spent a lot of time with a lot of people doing things that don't work. Why? Because we like to do it. There's other things that would be more effective, but we don't do those things because we don't maybe like to do them. But God has a work for you to do. 
Um, there's a word I discovered a few years ago, and it answered quite a lot of questions in my mind. It's the word specious. Anybody heard the word specious before? Specious. I knew David was. He's clever. Um, specious. Specious is, when, uh, I didn't know you would know, but that's great. Okay. <laughs> specious means something that has the ring of truth about it, but when you really discover it, you realize it's not exactly true. And we have lots of specious comments, things that, oh, they sound good. We all go, amen, because we don't think it through. One of them is a popular one right now, and it's probably just popular for a season, is we are human beings, not human doings. Have you ever heard that? And, and yes, absolutely. It's not about just what we do. God loves us for who we are. But the trouble is that that kind of almost communicates what we do isn't important. But actually, the Word of God says this in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we were created to do good works. We weren't, we weren't created just to be. We were also created to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there's other parts of the Bible that says God, in advance, he knitted us together in our mother's womb. But here we also know part of that plan was there's a purpose for you. There's a way in which you can align yourself with God and fulfill his mission, not yours. This is not about God creating you to fulfill your dreams. It's about God creating you to fulfill his vision and advance his kingdom. Uh, what I found interesting about that word works is in the Greek it's the word ergon, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Work, deed, doing, labor. Do you know in the New Testament that word is mentioned 176 times? A lot of them by Jesus. He's interested in what you do for him. And one of our and, and you see in this church so many people serving. It's definitely a vision and a value and a ministry of this church. And that's why I'm not getting up going, hey, let's spend 40 minutes saying, hey, we should all be serving. Because to be honest, I'm thinking, I'm not saying it's a waste of 40 minutes. But I think everybody in this room already knows that. I, I think we need to ask, is what we're doing working? Is what we're doing the best we can do for him? Is it the most effective thing we can do with him? Jesus said, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. That's what he says to the teachers of the law. I'm going to give it to a people who may not be the most religious Jews, but I'm going to build my church with the kind of people that will produce its fruit. Uh, the author, Lois, uh, I can never say her name, um, Lois Zwergberg, I'm sure that's not correct. Um, she, she's a, a really good historian, and she looks at the kind of Hebrew and Jewish um, uh, stuff behind things. And, and she agrees with a lot of other Messianic Jews, so um, Jews who believe Jesus is the Messiah and follow Jesus. And they will often say that Jesus' was Jesus' style of ministry was in the style of the Hasid. Um, now, the Hasid, there's a modern version, but the old version preempted the Pharisees. The Pharisees probably came from the Hasid. And the Hasid were a very, very, very um, authentic kind of um, teacher or servant for God. And uh, let me go back one second. And, and they used to ask this question, what more can I do to please you? This is how she phrased it. The ancient Hasid is one who goes beyond the letter of the law in his service of God. 
He does not only do what he is told, but he looks for ways to fulfill God's will. This requires intelligence and planning. One must anticipate just what God wants of him and how he can best use his own talents in serving of his creator. And then she finishes with this line. God has no interest in senseless service. God has no interest in senseless service because our soul's dying without him and every one of us can play a part. Whatever your gifting is, it might be worship, it might be media, it might be hospitality, it might be intercessory prayer, it might be acts of service. We just make, we've got to make sure it's all serving that one purpose and make sure we ask questions, is that what is happening? I think there are, there are a few reasons, just very quickly, why I think sometimes we can be more Christian-centric rather than kingdom-centric. The first one is our feelings. Our feelings. Um, I was told a true story of a um, ministry um, in another part of the country, um, and they created partnerships where um, they found people who were fairly wealthy who would look after poor people in their community. So they would match them up. So they'd come and say, hey, will you help a poor family at Christmas? And so what a family would do is they would, this is a true story, by the way, they would go into Walmart and they would spend whatever the family wanted to, whatever the, the wealthy Christian wanted to do, they would spend the money, take the family and buy toys for the kids or for the parents, food and Christmas puddings and whatever people wanted at Christmas, right? They had a fantastic time. It was a real blessing. And they did it for years and years and years. And they had a lot of people who would do this. And then one year, I don't know who the supermarket was, let's say Walmart, came to them and said, hey, we think what you're doing is fantastic. So what we want to do is we want to match fund everything. So now when those people give that money, no matter how much they give, we will double it. And then we will send the family a list of what the family needs. So when, when I was going in, let's say, let's say means I was going and taking a family in and spending $300 on them, Walmart would say, don't, you don't need to go in anymore. Just give us the money and we'll send them $600 worth of stuff. Guess what happened? Most people dropped out of the scheme, the program. Why? Can I suggest? Because one of the main reasons they were doing it was the feeling they got from taking that family in. And that's not a bad feeling. That's a lovely feeling, isn't it? It's better to give than to receive. But when it came down to who is this benefiting most, maybe the feelings can get in our way. So why are we serving God? The second thing could be, um, our status. Um, one of the highlights in my life when I was um, a little bit younger, my, my son was about 13 or 14, was in the youth ministry we were working at, we decided that we would tag team preaching. So I said to all the leaders, when you get up to preach, take a young person with you, practice with them and get them to preach with you. And one of, one of the highlights of my life was when I did it with my uh, youngest son. We grew up and we preached on um, Abraham and um, and we got up together, I would say something, he would say something, I would say something, he would say something. For me, it was training them, right? And we were stopped. You can't do that anymore. And I said, why can't we do it? Because these young people don't know enough about the Bible. But the fact is, they were learning more about the Bible because they had to get up and preach, right? And what I realized was, I think it just came down to status. It was almost like we don't want people to know that anybody can do this. We want it to look like only we can do this. And Jesus' uh, disciples had a problem with that. 
Jesus, uh, John said to them, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. I think Jesus had the same problem. I would encourage you. It's, these are things I check in my life. Is this all about status? Am I serving because of the feeling I get? And finally, in this section, is it to do with my gifting? Uh, me and Lynn used to be in a band. We were a really, really great 80s band in the 90s. And um, I'd come out of the punk kind of era, so with Lynn kind of. And so it was kind of like a, a bit of an edgy Christian band. We would do stuff... We do go into pubs. We go. We do. We did all sorts of stuff. We once did a concert for the for the deaf once, which was probably a good thing because the way we played music. But um, we were actually quite. We had one. We had one groupie who used to follow us around. Okay, that's how good we were, and uh, I loved it. And then um, so I was doing that, but at the same time, this this opportunity to do schools work came up, and without going into the complex detail, why I had to make a choice: do the one thing I really love to do, being a band, and we we reached people for Jesus. People got saved. Or do this much more effective thing of running pays, which involved administration and organizing other people. Basically, it just involves a lot of hassle. This thing, hassle-free. This thing, hassle, but more people get saved. That was, a, that was a turning point for me. It was difficult for me. I don't know what you would do in that situation. But it reminded me of this. Remember when um, Jesus said this? If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? I'm not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that. Can you give my paraphrase? This is not in the Bible. This is my version of this when it comes to serving. If you only do the things you love to do, what reward will you get? I'm not even the self-help book suggesting that. And if you only serve those who love you, sorry, and if you only serve those you love to serve, what are you doing more than others? Do not even atheists do that? You know, in, the, in, the, in Christianity right now, I'm not sure who's leading us sometimes as churches. Is the world leading us and we're just doing the Christian version of what the world tells us to do? Or is it God who's leading us by his Holy Spirit? Because if God who leads us by the Holy Spirit... We will do things we don't like to do and then suddenly found this incredible joy in doing them. You would be amazed. I, I've done stuff now that I, I didn't want to do and now it's some of the favorite things I do. But most of it is because of the fruit that comes from it. Does that make sense? There is massive joy and huge reward that God has for us. He's so pleased for us when he, we serve him. But we need to direct our heart and make sure we're doing it for his purpose, not our purpose. And when we do it for his purpose... We are anointed. Anointing means not so much that what you do, do becomes easier, but what you do becomes more effective because God gets involved. And God adds this incredible blessing and, and he takes that thing you do and I can't even describe what he does and suddenly it's just so much more fruitful than it would be if it was just you. And the joy we get from that is incredible if we do it for his purposes. Any other motivation for serving God, apart from serving his mission, will at some point be tested by him and perhaps found wanting. So let me briefly, let me begin to wrap this up and give you some perhaps advice, things I've learned. 
three questions that will help you figure out how do I move from ministry to mission? How do I move from I'm serving my purposes to I'm really serving God's purposes and I'm going to experience the joy, the reward and the anointing that God has for me? When is serving most effective? When asked the right questions. What are the right questions? Let me give you three. The kingdom question. The kingdom question goes like this. Here's a question I would ask you to ask yourself. Don't even have to ask God. It's more asking yourself, really, and asking the Lord. What is the most effective thing I can do to advance his kingdom? Sometimes we have, I mean, there's a lot of need, right? There's a lot of ways we can serve. There's a lot of people probably asking you to help. Why not ask this question? What's the most effective thing I can do to advance God's kingdom? That's the reason we ended up in America. We were, we were leading a church as well as pays in England. But I had the opportunity at 40 years old, we packed everything we owned into seven suitcases. And me, the Foxy Lee, and our two sons moved to America because the opportunity we had here would be the most effective way we could advance the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes I've not always chosen that. I'll be honest with you. But I think it's the best thing we can possibly do. Uh, many years ago, actually I won't tell you a story, I'm going to move on. Second question, the gospel question. Our ministry must fulfill his mission. So we need to ask, what will lead the most people to Jesus? Out of the things you're doing, because that's his mission, that's the overall purpose it's not that you feel fulfilled in your, in your ministry, as great as that is. The overall purpose is that kingdom will come. What does it mean, Lord, may your kingdom come? It means that more and more people will come under the rule, reign, realm, royalty of God. More people will give their lives to Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. So one of the great things is, is this church, we're really moving towards this. It's our mission, our values, is to do this kind of stuff, Right? is to be effective. So I'm going to invite Kirby up. Maybe, Dre, could you stand up at the moment and maybe Letitia and... and uh, where's Letitia? Okay. So these guys are our Pays team, okay? I don't know if you know our Pays team, so just give them a smile, give them a wave. Can we ask them some questions afterwards if that's okay? I just realized we don't have a microphone. Oh, you've got one there. Kirby's thinking ahead of me. Okay, thank you. Sit down, guys. I just want you to make sure you know who uh, the guys are. Okay. So, uh, sorry, Isaiah... Um, uh, I keep forgetting people's names. Letizia. Letizia, Andrea, and Kirby, okay? So, Kirby, I'm going to ask you two questions. We're going to ask you first, what you guys do in schools? You've got one minute. And secondly, what's happening with youth right now? One minute, okay? Got it. So, okay, so uh, basically, the PACE team, our PACE team, these guys uh, are working in our, in our youth ministry. And the first thing is we serve in schools as missionaries. Tell us about this picture, and Kirby, and tell us what's going on. Yeah, so when we started just, I mean, four or five weeks ago, we were in Martin High School and Bailey Junior High, which is kind of on the other side of town. It's where our old church was. But we had this mission of there's 16 high schools and junior highs in Arlington. And since then, we've gotten into Nichols Junior High, Lamar High School, um, TLC, Shackleford Junior High, and lots of others that are taking interest. And we're having to get to a place where we say no. So God has been really, really good. This is in Trinity Leadership, just across the parking lot. And we go in and we teach character lessons that are religiously neutral and politically neutral, but then we are able to 
put the gospel in the middle of it where it's baited as a question, where we can't say Jesus Christian Bible Church, but they can through their First Amendment rights. So we'll ask questions where the answer is Jesus or Christianity, and that begins a conversation where it is legal to share Jesus in the classroom. So we did this. This was just this Tuesday across the parking lot uh, with all the eighth graders and seventh graders. So how many schools are you going into right now? We have five consistently looking at six or seven. It's cool, isn't it? That's, that's young people who weren't hearing the gospel, and now they go into schools, and uh, what you may, might have missed a little bit is, is the strategy. Remember, we ask, Lord, what can we do most effective? And then we put our minds to it. And what these guys will do is they'll ask questions and get the young people to ask them questions. When the young people ask them questions, it's absolutely fine for these guys to give answers, even if those answers are spiritual in nature. So that's part of it, but we're not just simply trying to get kids to hear the gospel. There's another part of it as well, which is uh, you guys are serving in church to make missionaries of the young people as well. So just tell us a bit more about that, Kirby. Yeah, so at the end of our lessons, we ask permission, can we show a youth group flyer on the screen? So we put youth group free pizza, 6.30, Wednesday night, and all of them are like, what? <laughs> and we also do free guitar lessons here at the church at 5.30 before youth group. So we've been able to reach a couple kids that probably wouldn't have come just for pizza, they're learning to play guitar or bass or something, and then they'll stay uh, for youth group afterwards. So these are those same kids that were in that classroom. Twelve of them came just this past Wednesday night, and this youth group was, I mean, non-existent a month ago. So praise God. It's been really, really cool to see so him work. How many weeks have you been going? About four or five weeks. Okay, first week, how many people came? like four. Second week? Four. Third week? Then six. Then, then Maybe six again, and then 12. <laughs> it's been really cool. That's great, isn't it? Thank you, Kirby. Yeah. Thanks very much. And thanks, team. We appreciate you guys. And, and thanks, church, for partnering. And it costs money for the church to have the team here, and, and your tithes go towards that, because that's our mission. That's our vision. That's our value, right? It's not just for us to have a party on Sunday, but for us to reach the lost who don't know Jesus. He absolutely loves you. Absolutely loves you. But he also absolutely loves your neighbor. And he's overjoyed that you know him, and he's heartbroken that your neighbor doesn't. So what can we do to serve, to see that happen? It may not be that you're knocking on their doors, right? It may be some other indirect way that we're reaching together. We have that one purpose. Let me finish then with the third question. First question, what will most advance the kingdom of God? Second question, what will most, maybe indirectly, but what will most eventually lead more people to Jesus? The Jesus question. And then the third question. Sorry, the second question was the uh, gospel question. Then the third question, the Jesus question. Um, when we serve, we become vulnerable, right? Because you can be abused. I'm always getting worried. I like to drive people and get the best out of them, but there's a bit where I always worry I'm going to just abuse people generally, right? Uh, but so you can feel vulnerable, right? If God uses you as a building block in the kingdom of God, other people sometimes are put on top of you, right? And you feel like you're carrying other people. And so one of, one of the questions I have, what happens if I'm serving God, but why should I do X, Y, and Z if other people don't do it? Why should I do this? Why should I be committed when other people aren't committed? Why should I get here on time when other people don't get here on time? Why should I serve when other people don't serve? Well, the key to this, and I would suggest the key to joy as a Christian anyway, is that the only person you should compare yourself to is Jesus, and the only person you should compete against is yourself. We serve 
because we notice how Jesus served, not because we notice all the other people around us. Sometimes you're going to be inspired by people. Sometimes you're going to be demotivated by people. And so the third question would be this. If I only compare myself to Jesus, to what Jesus did, what should I do? If I only compared myself to what Jesus did, not to what Lane does or Pastor Becker or Pastor David, if I only compare myself to what Jesus did, what could I do? And so that, this morning, I'd like, I'd like us just to ponder these, these three questions. We don't need to know that for now. Ask the kingdom question and critique your motives. Is this thing I'm doing the best way I can advance the kingdom of God? Or is there a way I can do this, but more strategically, more effectively? Secondly, ask the gospel question and ensure you have his end in mind. Is there a way, do I have my, is my end in mind? I'm going to do this because somehow this is going to connect with this and this and other people are going to come to know him. Is there a way I could do this which would help more people to come to know him? And thirdly, ask the Jesus question and don't compare your commitment to others. Would Jesus do what I do? And if he did, how would he do it? And I would encourage you this morning, the reward of serving God in this way is absolutely incredible. And to see God get involved in what we do is incredible. When, when things go absolutely wrong, when, when a, a pandemic comes and it looks like everything's going to fall apart and God comes in and does something amazing and you know that had to be God. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I'm going to leave you with this last question. Some have fulfilled some of his mission some of the time. And some have fulfilled most of their ministry most of the time. But imagine what might happen if most of us fulfill most of his mission most of the time. It'd be incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. Let's ask the Lord to help us this morning. Lord, we thank you because you've served. Lord, you didn't do the things you love to do all the time, Lord. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, you sweat blood, uh, blood, drops of blood because of what you knew you should do to advance the kingdom. Lord, may we compare ourselves to you and not to each other. And in doing so, may we inspire each other. May our lives be a sacrifice. May we serve in whatever gifting we have, the best way we have, for your purpose, not for ours. And may this church impact countless lives in our communities and our cities, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it, Lord. Amen.